When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to Impact Theory. Impact Theory. Impact Theory. Impact Theory. Impact, baby! Hey, everybody. Welcome to Impact Theory. Today's guest is a record holder many times over and one of the most recognizable athletes on the planet. Her list of accomplishments is so long, we would need an entire show just to read them, but here are just a few of the highlights. She's the first woman ever to lead in an IndyCar race, the first woman ever to win an IndyCar race, and when she arrived on the scene, she was only the fourth woman ever to race in the Indianapolis 500. She's also the first woman to hold pole position in the Daytona 500, and she's only the second woman of all time to hold the pole position in the Indy Racing League, where she was named the Rookie of the Year in 2005 championship. She holds a record for being the highest finishing female ever in a NASCAR National Stock Car Series, and she also holds the record for the most top 10 finishes by any woman in the history of Sprint Cup competition. Her fourth place finish in the Indy 500 is also the highest ranking ever for a woman. She is tough and aggressive behind the wheel, and Paul Newman, an accomplished race car driver himself, said we will probably never see a female driver like her again. She was named the Female Athlete of the Year by United Sports Academy. She's graced the cover of Sports Illustrated and has proven with her book, Pretty Intense, that her fitness extends well beyond the racetrack. Recently retired from racing, she's launched two companies, Warrior Clothing and Somnium Vineyard in Deer Park, California, proving beyond a shadow of a doubt that she'll be thriving long after the sound of her final lap fades from memory. So please, help me in welcoming the most successful woman in the history of open wheel racing, Danica Patrick. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. Thank you, it's a mouthful. It is, your list of accomplishments is pretty ridiculous. I did finish third at Indy one year too. So that's Shame okay, on me. That's the, all right. the flagellation will be extreme, okay. I assure you. Unfortunately, the internet helped me with some of those stats. And oh, they, Wikipedia. They led me astray. So we will, yeah, we'll have to update that stuff. But man, it, it really is crazy. <clears throat> and it's extra crazy when you think about what, statistically speaking, makes you such a crazy underdog, which is, one, I'd love to know, why do you think there are so few women in racing? I mean, I think it's just a matter of your exposure. So when you're... When you're a kid, it's, um, I mean, racing in general is not the easiest thing to, to start out doing. Mm. Um, you know, somebody has to know how to get you into a go-kart or get you into a, you know, mini sprint or some kind of a, some something with an engine and that's expensive, it's complicated, you have to have technical expertise in some way, which my dad had. Um, so I think you have to have the exposure and then you have to think of it. You know, it's not a sport in school, right? You don't just sign up for racing. So like you would sign up for basketball or football or something like that. So I feel like it has to do with your exposure, really, that, that gives you the idea. So for myself, my dad raced growing up, uh, and it was actually my sister who wanted to do it. She, um, she, uh, she was 8 and I was 10 years old, and there was somebody in her class that raced go-karts, and they happened to live in the neighborhood. So we went down and looked at the go-karts, and, and we bought go-karts, and 
and the rest is history. So what is it about you and your sister? Why didn't she continue to pursue it the way that you did? Um, because she got bumped around a lot. <laughs> yeah, she was getting like driven over and let's just face it, it wasn't her calling. I mean, I think that that's, at the end of the day, you have to be really, really passionate about something and really want something or something about it that, you know, pushes you when things get difficult. And I've always said that's kind of the difference between m my success or me and uh, some other people is that when it gets difficult, I try harder. That's of course gonna happen. But when it gets difficult again, I try harder and there's still some that'll keep doing it. But when it gets difficult again, I try harder and maybe you're down to a few people. So there's not really a point in time that I didn't dig deeper and try harder. So yeah, she wasn't slow. She just like, she was getting driven over and she just didn't really like it. What you just went through <coughs> is, is like my fetish. So I wanna understand what makes you the person that keeps going and going and going and digging deeper and figuring out like another gear to find when other people don't because I really, I have that same thing and oh my God, like once I set my sights on something, yeah. fucking forget it, yeah. literally health be damned, it doesn't matter. Like if, if it is in my head that that is something I want, then I will keep ratcheting up. And that's so intoxicating and it makes my life so beautiful and so joyous and I love it so much that, and I know not everybody wants it, but the people that do, like I wanna show them how mm -hmm. to like dig deep. Mm -hmm. So how doth thine dig deep? You got a dream, right? I mean, I'm sure that when you find something that you love to do, you think how far could that go? And you have to, you have to do that, right? You have to set some goals for yourself. Number one, you wanna find things that you're good at, right? So probably not gonna be a basketball player being five foot one and a half. I get that half at five foot one. You know, you've gotta find things that you're really good at and can thrive. Um, but then beyond that, you have to dream into how far it can go. Because if you don't, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. So if you haven't even thought of an idea, you for sure can't because you haven't even thought of it. Um, and then, you know, then it's a matter of uh, time. Your book, Pretty Intense, you go into the mindset, which is a pretty cool way to open the book. I really like that. Mm -hmm. um, talk to me about some of the key things that you've built into your mindset that you think have allowed you to win at such a high level. Well, I mean, you know, you, you do have to believe in yourself. And I say that like hesitantly because of course I have, of course I've lacked confidence from here, here and there. I think that that's human nature to have some doubt. Um, so I think, that, I think that you have to find something that you really want and you have to have that really aspirational goal far in the distance so that the little things along the way aren't such a big deal, um, you know, and, and it helps pull you into the next event or the next year or the next job or the next opportunity. Um, and you can also look at things as a learning experience at times other than trying to make everything successful. I think that's a really common thing that people experience and do is that, you know, they, they want this dream job or this dream situation and they don't just get started. Like, just get going, go to school or get a job or be an intern. Like, it's probably not gonna go perfect, but for sure you'll learn. You're always gonna learn, even from the mistakes. And sometimes the mistakes teach you even bigger lessons. So, um, so that ability to know that when it doesn't go well, that that's all just part of the journey. Um, so I found that I was really, like I loved that part about, about racing and about really anything um, is that the journey really is the fun part because maybe you can relate. When you finally arrive somewhere, it's never enough anyway, right? It's like, what next? No question. 
Walk me through that moment. You're in a bar at like 14 or something. Oh, and this the, is going great. Right? But you'll, you'll know where I'm headed in a minute. And, I must have been in England. <laughs> no, you haven't gotten to England yet. But you walk up to the British guy and you start asking him a bunch of questions mm -hmm. about racing in England. You click something yeah. over in his mind. He extends you an invitation when you're ready to come to England. What I want to know about is the moment that you actually decide to go to England. You said you're not a daredevil, so it's not just the devil may care attitude, but that's really ballsy. You drop out of high school, move away from your family, yeah. go live on your own at mm -hmm. 16. Like the thought of who I was at 16, I, was, I would not have been ready <clears> for that. <throat> um, are you courageous? Is that something that you cultivate in yourself? Um, did you just not think it through? Like what was that moment? I, I mean, as far as like the courageous part real quick, like I find a lot of satisfaction in testing my limits. So it doesn't mean I'm not scared. Like we were actually just talking about this earlier today about cutting my hair. And I'm like, I've never cut my hair in my entire life. And I just, even, the, even though that's small, like I just love to push my comfort zone just to know I can. I've also bungee jumped. It's not something I love. I don't enjoy it. It's not fun. I'm scared of heights, but I love to know that I can accomplish whatever it is that I need to or want to, no matter how big or scary it is. The ESPYs, hosting the ESPYs last year, oh my God, I was like, who, I'm not funny. Like, how am I gonna do this? And, but I said yes, because it scared me as much as it excited me. And I was like, gotta do it then. I mean, I, I think that, um, you know, walking into that, it was the story about the bar. I was 14 year old um, at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. I was in a turn two suite, um, which was owned by a, a wealthy guy. And um, he was helping another driver, uh, Lynn St. James, a female driver. And she was kind of walking me around and helping me out. So she sent me up there and I sat down at the bar in the suite, um, ordered my kitty cocktail and sat next to this British guy. And he was talking about racing. and. You know, he's telling me I could learn more in one year in England than five years over here. And I thought, well, that sounds smart. Um, and so two years later, when I was 16, they had kept up with my career and they'd contacted us again and said, hey, we'd like to have a meeting. So we almost didn't go. I mean, how sliding doors central, like we almost didn't go. It was raining out. It was a four hour drive each way from where we lived in Illinois and we decided to go. And the story of my life would be that I always, I feel like I always do the right, like I can't say always, that's not true. I usually do the right thing. And so we got in the car and we went down there, had the meeting. And then that fall, they had told me, you know, we've been following you and we'd like to help you, you know, become a race car driver and we'd like to send you to England. So I went over and tested a car, went over for the, for the winter and left school for a little while and did what they call a winter series race. And, um, and then dropped out of high school um, soon after and when I was a junior. Not the greatest advocate for school. <laughs> yeah, no, um, I gotcha. <clears throat> you seem to have an inhuman ability to focus. <laughs> One, just to be a good driver, it seems like you have to have an insane ability to focus. But two, with the amount of noise that must have been around you coming into it, um, to, to be able to shut that out and do your thing, is that, is that something that you would chalk up as an innate ability or is that something that you've worked on? Yeah, you work on that. Um, I think that's probably focus at least from the standpoint of driving the car was always something I said that was a training program. The races when I was a kid were eight laps and then there were 10 and then there were 12 and then there were 20 and then there were 50 and you know, then you get into cars. So, you know, that focus grows and then all of a sudden you're at the Coke 600 for, 
you know, five plus hours or the Southern 500 or the Indy 500 for four hours. And you, you know, that focus, you don't know how to do that out of the box. So there's that focus um, that is something that's nurtured and grown. And um, then the ability itself to just block out the noise. Um, you know, I, I feel like Yes, it's possible to be insecure, and I think that the reason why I didn't get insecure about the shit people were saying about me was because I was doing my best. I was trying hard. I was putting in the effort. Um, there wasn't anything I wasn't prepared to do to make it all happen. And so if you're a lazy person and you don't do what you think you should be doing, then when somebody says something bad, you're going to feel insecure because you know exactly how you could have done better. So I didn't leave those things to chance. Like I didn't leave myself open for criticism in a way that would be, you know, highly insulting to me. I, I did the work. Uh, I think that's valuable. I think that's an important lesson if you're going to do something and not be offended when you're putting in your best work. What am I going to do? Just not like myself? I mean, there's times I don't like myself, but... You know, the, the, that's the alternative is to just not like yourself, even though you've been doing your best, which doesn't usually happen. So you got to put the effort in. When I think about going all in on something, putting in the effort, to me, it's driven by that. What you said, you've got to want something like there's got to be something that you're driven by, whether it's a dream or whatever. What makes you cultivate that? Like, do you find that life is better when you have some intense thing that you're chasing? Like you've launched two businesses mm -hmm. recently. Mm -hmm. um, there's there's obviously a sense for you of either wanting to do things that you just enjoy um, intrinsically or once you make it a company, it seems like maybe there's something more to it than that. Like what is the organizing principle of your mind? Like for me, mine is I need to matter. That's very important to me. So whatever I do, and I'm not saying that's good or bad. I'm saying it is true. I need to matter. I have invested a lot of putting value on that, deciding that it's something I want to care about, deciding it needs to be a part of my life. Mm -hmm. And because of that, I get mm -hmm. a huge mm -hmm. like neurochemical reward when I do things that I see echoing through the world. So that's a big thing for me. I always pursue that. Um, do you have something like that? Like you've worked so fucking hard to get where you are. Like yeah. why try so hard? Yeah. Every now and again, I think to myself, I could just do nothing. <laughs> I'm sure you've thought the same yeah, thing from time. You just do nothing. In fact, people were asking me at the end of my career, they're like, oh, these companies that are launching, is this your backup plan? I'm like, that's cute, but I don't really need one. <laughs> I mean, I'm just being honest. Like, I have been very fortunate in my career. I don't need a backup plan, but I tell you what, really every company I have is super organic, even racing. Like, it just happened. I was 10. You know, I surely wasn't funding it. So um, whether it was my wine company that started um, in 2009, Somnium, it means dream in Latin. And that's because I was just standing over a grassy knoll at, at um, Quintessa Vineyards in, uh, in Napa, looking south to the fog, pulling down into the, back into San Francisco, drinking at 10 a.m. And, uh, and thinking, God, I want something like this someday. And then it happened. That's literally what I thought. I want something like this someday. Bought the property. That was 2006. The first vintage, 14, was sold in 17. Um, 
long project. That's why I think a lot of winemakers are fairly older, a lot of proprietors, because they don't have the money to do it until they're older, because um, it's a long process. But that's Somnium, and it means dream. You know, the clothing line was just because I love being creative. I actually went into um, the, uh, the company that was producing it and talked about making clothes for the racetrack. And they heard my passion for design and my interest in clothes and that whole world, um, the artistic side of me. And they never, <clears throat> they never had a sketch of one single race t-shirt. It was all just clothes for everyday life. So they heard my interest loud and clear um, that, that went bit way beyond just the racetrack. Um, I mean, my book, Pretty Intense, was um, really just because, I, I really attribute it to posting one yoga picture so many years ago on Instagram and people loved it and then I posted more and it like if of everything that I do it's really not actually the bulk of what I do but people people see that they love it it resonates they're interested it's aesthetically pretty you know they and it made it gave me a reputation for being into fitness and I'm like god I've always done this I've worked out since I was 14 years old for racing so um, that kind of started it all and then there was someone who was interested in writing a health and fitness book and I'm like okay the question was, do I want to write one? And I was like, yeah, I think I have finally something to say. You know, health and fitness and wellness and waking up and, and, and taking care of yourself and enjoying life is, um, you know, really what I stand for now. So that's a super long story of all my companies. But um, <clears throat> bottom line is, is they were all born from an idea or a passion. They were not like, I want to make money. Let's do this now. It doesn't mean I haven't taken endorsements in the past that were about money, but it, it, um, it doesn't mean that I will start a company unless I truly believe in it and I am ready for it and I'm ready for the work because of course it's the journey. It's not, I mean, if, I think that if you attach yourself to, I'm gonna call it like a impure goal almost of making money or something like that, I think you're too short-sighted and I think that um, I don't, I think you inherently block that actually. You make the wrong choices because you're thinking too short term or too small. Do you have any rules to a journey that you're about to go on? Like, um, I don't want to think small. I'm going to think big. It has to be fun in the moment. Or like, what are the guiding principles that you use? Intuition. I mean, it just has to feel right. There's been plenty of projects that I've been like theoretically interested in figuring out how to make into something. And um, nothing has ever, nothing's felt right for a few different things. And um, uh, I think you have to learn how to identify the flow of life, which I'm definitely learning as I'm up. I'm one of those people that likes to force things to happen. Yes. yes. Force them to happen. They're going to. Um, but here's the thing. Yes, you need to try harder and you need effort and you need to push at times. That's very important. But you have to learn that when you keep hitting a wall with something and oh this isn't right and this isn't working and this is oh that person's wrong and that's happening and oh now this ha when you start to like bump up against a bunch of those things that just don't feel like it's flowing and you kind of have to wake up and realize maybe this isn't for me and that's kind of actually what happened with my career even was there was tons of things starting with losing my primary sponsor, which was no problem I had ever had in the past that started me to wake up to realize these other things and then to notice, oh my gosh, I have all these other companies that need attention. 
that could be really fun. You start finding evidence of how it's not the flow anymore. So, you know, I didn't make a huge effort. I very much was a like I was really, really letting it flow when it came to a sponsorship situation in 2017 to move forward into 18. And when things just it just didn't flow right, I'm like, it's okay. Just got to let it go. So the way I describe my retirement is that I, I had to learn how to let go. I didn't feel like I was quitting because I could have pushed and made it happen and compromised and taken a smaller salary or gone to a different team or something like that. But I was like, no, I'm just going to let go. And so letting go for you, are you somebody who embraces change? Do you have a hard time with change? It certainly seemed like at the end of the career, it was relatively easy for you. I mean, I cut my hair for the first time. I'm totally good with change. <laughs> I mean, this is like the epicenter of like, whoa, Danica, you're totally okay with change. I think I react probably like every human being when it comes to something dramatic and big. It's somewhat... Uh, shocking and uh, scary and you're not up for it. I remember when when my sponsor had left, the first thought was, oh no, I'm not ready. Oh no, no I'm not ready. And actually- Not felt, ready to retire. Not ready to retire. <clears throat> and I remember thinking, that feels good to say that. Oh yeah, I'm not ready. Um, now that evolved and changed, but I think that, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, you really have to pay attention to the way you feel about a situation and, um, you know, feel if it's right for you and whether or not you need to keep keep moving. Mm. Talk to me about how you force things. I'm guessing, judging by the outcome, that you're quite adept at figuring out how to push. Um, how did you make your racing career happen? And I get there was probably mm -hmm. a lot of intuition and mm -hmm. um, you know opportunities presenting that you take advantage of, but where were the moments of push? How can people leverage that in their life? Because this is one thing that like in, so we just launched Impact Theory University mm -hmm. and one of the things, in, thank you, I'm psychotic about well, this. I, I think would, it really has potential. I'm not super smart, but I'd love to be a professor. <laughs> hey, you, we'll film today. I actually, let's just get off on a tangent real quick Please, about, about, about school, yeah. right? School curriculum sucks. <laughs> I'm so glad I didn't waste my time with it because like who uses geometry who uses like human anatomy class and we're not like i mean if you want to be a doctor please go to go to school <laughs> uh right i don't want you to have some experience cutting a frog open before me but you know there's certain things that it's important but you know where's the class on where's the meditation class where's the manifesting class like where's the where's the real life stuff that you know it scares me to think we're getting away from PE. I mean, a pull-up could save your life. You can fall off a cliff and need a pull-up, you know? I mean, these are the things that can really make a difference in your life. Um, so, I don't know. Do you, I mean, now that you're starting your own university, yes. what are your thoughts on school? Uh, my thoughts are uber intense. And so I'll give you a snippet with the Well, I'm pretty intense, so this in. falls right into the line. <laughs> nice. So my thing is I think that uh, humans can't change about 50% of what they do and are. And I, that's why I find you and your sister so fascinating. I'd be so curious to know how much of that was the 50% that's unchangeable and how much is the 50% that is completely malleable. And the 50% that is completely malleable could change your life so radically um, and there are universal principles of success. There are just certain ways that people should think. And one of them, my friend, dear professor of how to push, oh, yes. is the ability to get shit done. So the title of your biography was Danica Patrick Crosses the Line. Mm -hmm. Get over the fucking finish line. And I find so often people, to your point, they don't want anything. 
And so they don't put the energy to get something across the finish line. And that, that really fucks with me yeah. because I think that that's born of the 50% that is changeable. So it's like over here- The you wanting have a, something. Yes, like you have a belief system mm -hmm. that, that you don't even realize you have. Yep. You don't realize you yep. assimilated beliefs the entire time you were growing up. So like somewhere along the line, you decided that you could do this shit. I mean, you yep. literally said, if you think you can, you can. If you think you can't, you can't. Right. So one, you've cobbled together this really fucking interesting mindset, which you lay out in your book, so I know is real. Two, your life is a pretty clear reflection of this stuff. So my thing is like, since you know how to push, what, like, what is it? I know some of it's intuition. I'm, not, I'm gonna rob mm -hmm. you of that answer. Beyond intuition, okay. what this is, is it? Um, it's actually the hardest one because you have to find a way to authentically, not just lip service, but authentically believe you can do it, which is hard because doubt is, I mean, how many times does our mind race about doubt, whether it's in work or relationship or anything, you know? Um, How do you deal with it? it, it <laughs> well, first you have to be passionate about something and then you have to set the right goal, right? The goal of like, I wanna make a difference. I believe I can make a difference or I wanna make amazing wine. I believe I can do that. I know I can do that. Um, you know, you, 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 but you, you have to, You've got to use some neuroplasticity shit and get that mind changed. You have to retrain your brain and put the right uh, podcasts in front of you, the right TV shows, the right people around you, read the right books, r write in your journal, write down what you want. I mean, how many times have we, I look at how many times I've written down something I want and I'm like, oh my God, I got it. You know, it's scary. So I, I think that there's some magic in there. Um, but it's really about retraining your brain to believe something is possible. So I think that you can fake it till you believe it, and, but, you, but there has to be a way where you authentically believe you can do it. Do you have an example? So the fake it till you make it thing is something really, really interesting to me. And I think that um, people get misled by the words, they hear fake and they think, oh, this is never gonna work, mm -hmm. but they, it's a fundamental misunderstanding of the way the human mind works. And so the fact that you brought up brain plasticity is extraordinary. Mm -hmm. um, well, your brain can't tell the difference between a truth and a lie, essentially. If you can visualize an experience that hasn't happened you know, in your brain, it can't tell the difference. So now keep repeating that and you're retraining your brain. That's pretty crazy. Did you used to visualize the races? Yeah, I did. When I was a kid in go-karts, I would sit there on the, sit there on the cooler and close my eyes and I would visualize the perfect lap like once or twice at least, and especially before qualifying as I got older, um, I, would, I would visualize the perfect lap of how I wanted it to go and how I wanted the car to feel. How do you deal with pressure? There's so much pressure going into a race, so many eyes on you, sponsors, <clears throat> dollars on the line. Mm -hmm. um, how do you tune that out or how do you process it? What do you do with that? Race car drivers have a big job in the sense that uh, before the race, like we entertain sponsors. You're going to do meet and greets. You're standing at the car getting photos before the race starts. So, you know, you really have to be able to compartmentalize that and then the job and be able to flip the switch back and forth between like, hey, how you doing? Nice to meet you. Good, you wanna get a picture? Cool, all right. Hi, how are you? Oh, are you good? Okay, cool. And that was a kid, by the way. <laughs> and, um, and then, you know, take your picture and then be able to get in the car and just, you know. Um, I will say that anybody I met at the racetrack and they tell me, oh, I met you at a race. I'm like, yeah, 
<laughs> I usually remember those people, probably because I was only allowing an, a certain amount of mental energy to be, you know, attentive to them. Um, uh, yeah, you, you have to flip the switch back and forth for sure a lot. Do you have a ritual for that? How do you actually flip the switch? Um, you have to have enough emotional energy to do it, right? So I felt like if I was tapped with the entertaining side of things, it made it harder to stay, be able to get into the focus state or, or kind of stay in it essentially, but like pop into these moments of when I had to do something else. For me, I have to, I have to be able to maintain enough energy. So a lot of the things that it had to do with is like just knowing yourself and knowing that, okay, if I go out to dinner and hang out with everybody and then there's a bunch of people at the racetrack I have to entertain, like you have to have the discretion and the, and the awareness to be able to like say no to one thing or another thing or be able to go inside the bus and not feel guilty that you're not hanging out with everybody outside and just know that that's because you have to protect your energy if you're going to be able to do everything that you need to do that day and, and essentially it came down to really just the obligations. Do you, yeah. do you have other things like that that you use to, to be able to move so swiftly from one area of your life to another? Um, I'm not a big fan of like 911 fire drill kind of stuff, so I like to get in the mindset, right? So I like to know what I need, what I have to do, um, which is a trouble, which is hard to flow because, you know, you're like, oh, this is what's going to happen. This is my story on expectation levels. I have this expression, this saying for myself that expectations are a mother, you know what? Because when they're not met, you're disappointed. But I do feel like when I, it helps me to get into a, a mindset or a space, a mental space, when I set my mind on something. Another example would be like even from a broader spectrum mind situation would be when I finished racing, I, you know, you know, didn't, I, I, I wasn't like when I was racing, I was scared of what was going on. But go to the Indy 500 this year and I was part of the broadcast and people had asked about the fear part. And... I was much more aware of it then because I, I know what, how hard it was. I know how fast we were going and I'm watching everybody do it. And I'm like, God, I was brave. <laughs> not, no, not brave Danica there. Um, but, uh, it wasn't something I allowed into my mental space. So there's certain situations I think that you have going on where you're just not allowed to think about it. Right. If you've got a huge week and you're really busy, you wrap your head around that. Right. Just like I had to wrap my head around, Everything but the fact that it was super dangerous. So I don't know. How do you I think shut you off to that? Get like, allowed, this allowed is one of those things. Certain things. If you want to talk about a course that you could charge a lot of money for, <laughs> it would be how to when somebody tells you don't think about a pink elephant to actually not think about the pink elephant. Mm -hmm. Because as you're going towards a race, your mind wants to throw up all the fear, all the danger, all of that. And if that's the one thing you can't think of, in fact, here's the example that I use, and this is perfect. You can tell me if this is actually true. I always tell people. If you were going to be a race car driver, they tell you not to look at the wall because you're going to end up crashing into it specifically because you're looking at it. Do they actually tell you that? Do you avoid looking at the wall? When I was a kid, uh, my dad, he was my coach essentially. He's my dad. Of course he's my coach. He still tries to be my coach um, for anything. Um, but, you know, you're racing and you can turn around and look in the go-kart. And he used to get so pissed at me. And he would say, and I actually used, this was probably the most valuable thing I ever learned in my life because it was more of, it was a metaphor for everything. And he said, you look where your eyes go. And I was like, and he's like, so look forward, don't turn around. And I was like, okay, but isn't that a metaphor for everything? You look where your eyes go, just like where your mind goes. 
you wherever you set your 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 point of reference on your your mental attention your focus that is where you're going how are you going to have a positive life from negative thoughts you can't because you're going to perpetuate more negative thoughts and you're going to attract vibrationally and frequency wise people that are thinking that same way so if you want to expand and grow and rise and meet new people and do better, the bigger, better things, then you've got to think about what you do want, not what you don't want. So 100%, if you're looking at the wall, you're going there. Yeah, that makes all the sense in the world to me. So you're on the cooler, eyes are closed, you're imagining the track um, and whatever the future version of that is. What is the thing that you're putting your energy into to make sure that you don't have the extra focus to let the fear in? Is it, is it truly just a visualization of the, the way that the laps go, the way the car feels? Is there something else? Um, and, and how can people apply that to whatever they do, which probably isn't race car driving? <laughs> But I think it applies to everything, you know, like the, the, the putting your focus on what it is that you do want. So I do, a, obviously I don't race anymore, but you know, for me, I, many mornings I wake up and it's cause I wake up really early and I'm drinking my coffee by myself. Um, but I'll start writing down certain things that are working for me, but, and I'll almost try and avoid the things that aren't working for me. And I'll just think about what I want and feelings I want to have and goals that I have and, um, you know, I almost try and keep them a little broad spectrum towards an emotion or a feeling as opposed to um, an attachment to a specific outcome because I'm not the universe. I don't know how it's supposed to go and who's to say that my idea of the right outcome is right. Maybe there's a better way. So attach yourself to and your focus to the kind of feeling you want to have and the things that you want to do with your life and, you know, whether it's inspire kids or, you know, uh, help people expand their mind or things that you want to do. Feel like you want adventure, you want, you know, joy, you want passion, you want excitement, whatever it is. And then let the universe find the very best way to experience all those feelings that you've set the intention for. So it sounds like you journal quite a bit. How long have you been doing that? Um, I actually remember writing a lot when I was younger. Then I didn't for a while. So that's much more common now. I find that especially... I mean, I've, it's, been, it's been years, but um, more now, more since I've stopped racing, I'd and, say. And this is a way to control your focus. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. I've never heard anybody that focuses primarily on the emotions that they want to feel. That's interesting. Do you believe in fate? Such an interesting topic. I mean, fate would assume that it's predestined. Yes. That's and what I'm asking. I'm one of those people that is always evolving and I'm happy to say that what I thought of in the past is not what I think now and I'm, I don't feel like I'm being hypocritical I'm just learning and growing yeah. and experiencing and taking in additional information because you can only make decisions based on the information you have and so when you get more you have to be ready to make a new decision um, so um, I mean I believe fate based on your frequency can you define frequency for me? Uh, your sort of your 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 vibration level, your energy, your and is ability that dictated to, by thought? Yeah, thought and positive thoughts. I can't remember what the scale is called, but basically, for the thoughts that you have, you know, the 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 middle bottom being like envy, greed, fear, jealousy, and then above that middle threshold. 
uh, is love and you know generosity and gratefulness and kindness and joy um, those being the higher frequency energies and so for me I try and focus on the higher ones because that's what I want to attract more of um, so I, I think that if you are operating in a lower vibrational state based on your negative energy that you're you're uh, repeating over and over again and telling yourself certain stories over and over again and um, and believing then that's kind of your fate your fate will be dictated by the thoughts that you have reoccurring in your mind man that was so, so I guess interesting there's a maybe not pure fate then to give because I don't like to not give an answer so no that was amazing I think it's hard for me to wrap my head around you don't have control mm. but man I mean, I believe in reincarnation. Really? Yeah. So, I mean, as far as like coming into this lifetime and learning certain lessons, I guess what, what I would feel about that, that is that you're, when you come back into this life, like you come back and you're, I believe my job is to learn and grow and it shouldn't be easy. If it's difficult, you're probably getting better um, because there's no growth without pain. Otherwise, you're just status quo. So the biggest growth for me has always come through total difficulty, total challenge, total effing mess, total crying, you know, like all the stuff that's super difficult. Why um, do you think that is? Why through pain? And what are some <clears throat> lessons that you've learned through pain? Well, because you're essentially breaking, um, you know, patterns. Um, you're having new thoughts. You're having to, the old ones are going to have to die. Like I always think like as far as an example would be like a relationship, you know, relationship ending is, you know, sad, right? And, but what if the uh, better one's coming? What if that's all you thought about? Pretty good stuff then. You're like, see ya. Um, but we're attached to the, the idea that we had in our head for so long. We're attached to, we have to let the ideas and dreams that we have, we have to let them die. And that dying process is hard. I think that's the painful part. So is some of the pain Losing, then, a, like changing your job. You're like, I'll never see these people again. And oh my God, what if I don't get a better job? And what if I don't get paid? And all you're thinking about is all the stuff that's bad. What if you're going to get a better job? And you're going to get paid more money. And you're going to meet new people. And you know, you're going to move to a place that you'd rather live. And, and is that what you're telling yourself as you're going through this? Do you rapidly mm -hmm, switch mm -hmm. the narrative? So you had asked earlier about change. And I lost my train of thought. So if it didn't sound like my answer was good, that's why. Um, I lost my change of thought on change. And so I immediately think like everyone else with change. I'm like, ah, eh, wow, that sucks. Um, but then I, I, I think I have the ability to flip the switch pretty quickly to it could be better than I ever expect. I have no idea how that's going to look, but how will I ever know if I don't give it a shot? Mm. It's really powerful. So looking at the level of success that you've had i know there's going to be a lot of things but if you had to um, just put one thing about you that is like the the pinnacle trait the thing that without that definitively everything else would fall apart and again knowing that it's it's mm -hmm. actually several mm -hmm. things but mm -hmm. um, what would you say is at the very top mm -hmm. well it ha it's tough to tell the difference between a dream and determination i don't think it really matters if you have determination without a purpose so probably dream. I would have always said determination because I kind of was just doing one thing, but yeah, I just have the ability to dream into things and believe it's possible. I like that. Where can people find out more about you? Um, 
Well, I mean, social media, social media is a great thing for that. I mean, you know, especially for me at this point in my career where I'm not on TV every single weekend for a few days and don't have a microphone stuck in my mm. face. Social media is a great platform for that as far as Instagram, um, which is the one I'm mostly involved on, and Twitter and Facebook. We post a lot more broad spectrum stuff on Facebook. Um, and then, um, you know, I have a website and it's all my name. And pretty soon the podcast is coming out, which will just really show more of me and the things that I believe in. And, and also, of course, gotta, gotta, like, how can I not think, how the hell did I get here? And then try and share that. Mm. No, I love that. I'm super excited for your podcast. No, thank you. All right. What is the impact that you want to have on the world? I want to wake people up to their potential. I want to wake them up to realizing that we could have argued about this, but you said 50% is there and 50% is available for your own to, to, make a, to make a change. But, you know, I, I would argue that anything is possible and that we are all one decision away from an entirely different life. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> Guys. Endlessly fascinating. You are definitely going to want to dive into her world. It's really, really extraordinary. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care. Danica, that was amazing. Thanks. Thank, thank you. you so much. Yeah, thank that you. was wonderful.